Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you again for this privilege. We pray now that as we look into your word, uh, that you would open it up for us, that we could be challenged by what we hear, what we see today. And Father, I pray that as we leave here today, that we leave uh, drawn a little more closer to you. And uh, Father, that we would be challenged just to live life on a different level. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? Uh, you guys, if you weren't at the breakfast yesterday morning, you missed the treat. Ronnie's son, um, Kyle, was there and telling about his ministry in Africa. And it was, great, it was a great challenge. It was good to hear what God is doing overseas like that among the Muslims. And um, I just would encourage you to come to those breakfasts when we have them. And uh, I think that you guys would be uplifted just for being there. Let me ask you this question as we begin today. Question is this, what makes life worth living for you? What makes life worth living for you? What is it that excites you? What is it that gives your life meaning and purpose and joy and all of that? Now, some of you probably would say, would say, well, my family makes life worth living. Right? I would agree with that. Uh, I don't think anybody would disagree that our families are important and bring joy and happiness and so forth. Good friends might be your answer. Love may be the reason that give, makes life worth living for you. Um, some activity like playing golf or going fishing uh, might be something that would make life worth living for you. There's various answers that we could come up with, and they're all good answers. But if you look into the Bible, and you look at the apostles and their teaching and what they're saying, you begin to see something else that pops up here in the Bible, that they are saying, this is what makes life worth living. This is what brings us joy and peace and contentment and happiness and fulfillment and so forth. Let me see if you can pick these out. Uh, John, for example, we'll look at John. We're going to turn to 3 John, chapter 4, or verse 4. There's only one chapter, but it says here, John is saying, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Now, that's a lot. I mean, that's saying a lot. He says, I don't have any greater joy in life than to hear that the people that I've ministered to over the years are walking still in truth, and they're growing. Now, he's not talking about his own children. He's talking about other believers. The Apostle Paul, what does he say? Well, in Philippians 1.21, he says this, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, we all think about, you know, someday we're going to pass from this life, and it would indeed be gain. But what we don't often think about is what he says is what makes life worth living for him. Because he said, for me, this is what makes life living. That I'm involved with the Lord in his work and doing what he wants me to do and following him and honoring him with my life. That's what brings joy and contentment and fulfillment in life. It's what makes life worth living. He says again in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 8, he says, for now... We really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Now, we're going to look at this again in a minute. But in this passage, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm hearing that you Thessalonians are living for the Lord like we taught you. We ministered there with you. And he says, you know what? We hear that, and now we are really living. Well, what was he doing before? You know, um, He's basically just saying, I'm filled with joy, happiness. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about being alive. It makes life worth living to hear what's going on in your life and to see what's, what the Lord is doing. 
So in other words, for them, at least John and Paul, and I'm sure the others felt the same way, that doing the Lord's work was what made life worth living. In other words, ministry. There's this word that encompasses all of what they're talking about, and it's the word ministry. Now, if you had to define or describe the word ministry, and this is going to be one of your questions tonight in your groups, you're going to have to come up with a definition or think through what you think that it means or how you would describe it to someone. For me, this is what I would say. I would say that ministry is when you do your part to touch or change the lives of the people around you. You are trying to do something and be involved in their lives in such a way that you can either touch their life in some way or really bring about some change. Uh, But you're ministering to them. For example, ministry is a lot of different things. Now think about this. A lot of different things fall into that category called ministry. And sometimes we think that it's just the formal ministry of the church, the pastor, you know, the the youth pastor, something like that. They're called ministers, and they do ministry. But you don't often think of the other things that fall into the category of ministry that you, and me too, we're all involved, are doing that, that fall into the category of ministry. For example, now listen, when you feed the needy, somebody may be hungry and you do something, to some way to alleviate that, that need. Uh, you know, there's a ministry here in town called Love in Action that feeds the homeless. They just offer up meals at, at uh, certain times during the day for the homeless that just want to stop by and eat. We have a group of ladies here in the church that take food to them. They'll schedule a day, and they'll take that day, and they'll take food and take a meal for them. That's, that's ministry. When you help somebody overcome an addiction, you're ministering to them. You're touching their lives. We have Call to Recovery here that meets twice a week. And there's a lot of great things that are happening in that ministry. Well, if you're involved in that, you go and you sit with these guys and you talk to them and you love on them and you just help encourage them, that's ministry. You're touching somebody else's life. When you teach a Sunday school class or lead a growth group, you're touching lives. Whenever you get involved in Awana or keep children in the nursery so parents can have a break and come to church service, you're ministering, you're touching somebody else's life in order to help them. When you take somebody to lunch that maybe is lonely and you just thought of, you know, or the, you felt the need to do this and you took it upon yourself and you invite them out to lunch and you just talk to them and love on them, well, that's ministry. You're touching somebody else's life. Um, when you call somebody on the phone to encourage them because you know they're down and they're going through some hard times, you're ministering to them. When you share your faith with another individual and they come to Christ, or even if they don't, but you planted a seed, well, that's what ministry is. And so it doesn't matter whether you're mowing the lawn of a widow or teaching in a Sunday school class, if you are touching a life and making it better and strengthening them and bringing about change, then my friend, you are ministering. And you know as well as I do, the feeling that you get when you do that, and you see something happen in their life. Oh, the excitement, oh, the joy, the, you know, it just, it affects you in such a way. And this is what the apostles are talking about. You know what, this is what living is. This is what makes life worthwhile. Not just living it for me, but living it for other people. That's what ministry is. You know, we get excited and various things excite us. Some of us think to ourselves, well, I get excited over making money. 
in taking care of my future. That's a good thing. You ought to. But let's face it, your money can be gone in an instant, and then you've wasted your life on something that went up in smoke. You say, well, my, my thing that makes me excited is my loved ones, my family. I agree with you. That is something that is, we should be involved in. It's important. But you know what? Loved ones die. Loved ones move away. Some days, you know, sometimes we're left alone and we realize that we've invested our lives in, in our loved ones around us and all of our time and we think, well, now they're gone. And we should have done that. I'm not saying that that's not important. But if that's the only thing that we saw as being important and the only thing that we've ever done, then what now? Some people are obsessed with their health and exercise and eating right. Good things. We all should do that. But if that's the only thing you spend your time on, what happens when your health fails you? And you realize that I've spent my entire life on something that in the end didn't really bring a whole lot of joy after all. I, don't, I believe that few things in life will give you greater joy than knowing that you have been used by God to touch another person's life in some way. Can you imagine, maybe some of you experienced this and maybe you haven't, but when somebody comes up to you and they say to you, I came to Christ because of you, that makes life worth living. When somebody says to you after you've counseled with them and then maybe a year later they come up to you and they say, you know what, you saved my marriage. Man, that makes life worth living. That's worth getting up for. When somebody says to you, my life has been changed because you brought me to church. That makes life worth living. When somebody comes up to you and says that your friendship kept me from committing suicide. Man, how does that make you feel? Off the charts. When somebody says to you, you used to be my Awana leader, and I'm on the mission field because of you. Nothing else begins to matter then. And you could be just like John or Paul and basically stand up and say, now I'm really living. You see, that's worth living for. That's worth being invested in. I really believe that God wants every believer to be involved in ministry on some level, in some manner. I know that because the Bible says, Jesus was asked one day about the commandments, and he says, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Now that means that you reach out to them, you, you touch their lives, you show them love, kindness, compassion, and so forth. And then he was asked this question. He said, then, well, tell us then, who is my neighbor? And it was then that Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you know that. You know that he's talking about a, a guy that's walking down the street. He gets beat up by thugs. And he's laying on the side of the street, basically incapacitated. And everybody passes him by. All of his Jewish friends go by until a Samaritan comes by. And they hated each other historically, but this Samaritan had compassion on him and take him and bandaged up his wounds and took care of his needs and so forth. And then Jesus says to the crowd, now, who was his neighbor? 
it was the Samaritan, the guy that would be the least likely candidate. Because if they were ever together, the Jew would look down on the Samaritan and say, you're not worthy of my time. But yet that's the guy that took care of him. And he's saying to the crowd, when I talk about loving the people around you, I'm talking about loving people that are undesirable, people that you don't like, people that you wouldn't sit in church with. You love them anyway. And you minister to them and you show compassion to them. And this, my friend, is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about ministry. I'm talking about touching the lives of other people around you in various ways to improve their life. That makes life worth living. Because the feeling that comes from that, you cannot describe unless you've experienced it and realize that God used me. And I never thought He would, but He did. And it wasn't even in the way you might have imagined. It was in some small, insignificant way that touched the life of an individual greatly. And see, that's what ministry is. And so when we talk about what makes life worth living, when you look into the Scriptures and you look at what God has told us to do, uh, it has to be that, you know what, it's ministry. On whatever level you're involved, that's what makes life worth living. That's what gives you joy and contentment and what brings fulfillment to your life. And that's what we're really after. We want to know that our lives counted for something. But still, you know, there are some that just aren't ever going to be involved in ministry. For whatever reason, maybe you're afraid or maybe you are just uh, into yourself. Maybe you're just whatever. It could be any number of reasons and you're not going to do it. So today, what I want to do in the time we have remaining is simply this. I want to talk to you about how to develop a desire for ministry. How do you develop a desire for ministry? Now, this, is again, is not going to answer all the questions, and it's not a complete you know, list of things to do, but I just want to share with you three things that I believe that if you will begin to apply these, I think that would make you more, I don't know how to say this, ready, I guess, um, and more desirous, maybe. It would create a, a stirring in your soul, perhaps to do ministry, and that's what we really need. Let me begin by reading this short passage. It's in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 7 through 10. Here's what Paul said. Now, this is one of those passages that if you read it in the Bible, when you're reading your Bible, it's something you just kind of breeze over and don't give a lot of thought to. I love those passages. I love the kind that people just breeze over and don't give a lot of thought to because there's usually so much meat left on the bone, okay? And so look at this because there's some good things in here. In this passage, starting in verse 7, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that you may see that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now just look at in that passage the words that he uses. He says we are encouraged. Now we're really living and now we're filled with joy. Why? Because he had heard from them how well they were doing and he realized that this is a ministry that I had input into 
and it's going well. God is working, and I know that I touched their lives, and because of that, it is affecting me in a way that is just lifting me up. And so as we look at this today, I want to draw from this passage a couple of things that I want to apply to you as far as helping you to develop a desire for ministry. Here's the first thing. These aren't, this isn't rocket science, okay? We've gone through some of these things before in various sermons, but it's just reworded and given out a different way. Here's the first thing that I would tell you to do. To start praying for opportunities to minister to someone. That you start praying for the opportunity that God would lay them on your heart and that you would see it and that you would step out and you would minister. Now, I believe with all my heart that God does this. And I believe with all my heart that God does it whether you pray or not. But I believe that when we're praying, we're looking. See, that's what happens. We're looking. And God knows that we're looking. And here's something else I believe. Now, this is just Dave, okay? I'm, I'm just talking here. I believe that God brings the situations, the opportunities through our schedule during the course of a day to minister to people. And I believe that if we aren't observant and don't see those, that God gives them to somebody else. Because God's going to accomplish what he wants to do in the life of that other person with or without you. But the point is, and this is what we're talking about, I want everything that God has in store for me. I want to experience all the blessing and the joy that God has for me. So therefore, I want to be observant and I want to be sensitive and I want to answer that call when God points something out to me. So um, this first one is to start praying for the opportunities to minister, minister to someone. Let me just read you again this verse 10 in this passage. He says, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, what is he praying for? He's saying, look, I want to spend more time with you. And I am praying that God gives me the opportunity to come back to you to supply what's lacking, to strengthen your faith, to teach you more, to hold you up and to encourage you. That's what I want to do. So he's asking God, please, Lord, get me back there. And get me back there so that I can help those people. Now, guys, listen. When you begin to do this, when you begin to honestly and sincerely pray, God, give me the opportunities, bring the people, and help me to see them, you're going to be convicted of all the opportunities that you've let go by. And when that happens, then I, I want you just to confess to God and say, Lord, you're right, I did that. Out of lack of desire, out of fear, out of whatever it was, I let that go by. Now, Lord, I'm asking for a fresh start, and I'm asking that you'd help me. And then you start praying. You say, Lord, show me. Make me sensitive. Let the Spirit of God just grip my heart. And when I see this need, I don't say, well, that poor person. I say, I've got to do something. And whatever that may be, then you do it. See, this is going to be a require that you be obedient. And that's what it's boiling down to. I'm going to be obedient to the Spirit of God that is leading me in this direction. The Holy Spirit is impressing it on you. God always does this to the believer. So you think, you're thinking, well, I wish God would speak to me. Oh, he has. You just haven't seen it. 
you know what I'm talking about. You know when somebody's on your heart, you're on your mind, you can't get them off, you're wondering, what in the world am I thinking about this person for? And God's saying, maybe you need to call that person or write them a card or go visit them or do something because there's something going on you don't know about, but I do. And God says, you need to go. When we were living in Florida years ago, I was in Bible college, I led a little Bible study. And I told you this a few weeks ago, my Italian families that we got to know very well down there, these two sisters and their families, uh, Rosemary and Camille, and we ate at their homes and so forth. I told you about that. But they were both nurses. Now, Camille had a job working for this one individual, a very wealthy man living down uh, at the beach in, in, uh, in there in Miami. And he was living on the intercoastal, all right off the beach, in a very expensive condominium. And she was hired explicitly to take care of him. It was just him and his wife. He was older than her. She was a little younger. She was from Argentina. Uh, her name was Elba. And um, Camille would go over there and spend the whole day. This man was dying of cancer slowly. And Camille would begin to befriend Elba and talk to her. And they would get to know each other in Camille had the opportunity to share Christ with her. And Elba accepted it. Elba understood and Elba believed and, and so forth. So when the, her husband passed away, she wanted to continue this relationship with Camille. Camille said, you need to come to our Bible study. And so she brought her during the week to this Bible study that I was leading there with them. And the girl, that lady was so excited from Argentina. She was so excited. And she loved the Lord. She loved being with us. And she, her mother was coming in from Argentina one time for a visit. She said, and she spoke some good English, but it was heavily accented, so you had to listen to her really well. I want you and, and Deborah to come to my home to meet my mother. She's going to fix you an Argentine meal. Well, I, I'm a college student. I don't turn down free food, so yeah, I'm coming, you know. Boy, I tell you what, that was a great experience. Deb and I, to this day, will talk about that meal that woman fixed that night. It was Maybe we were just hungry, I don't know, but it was great. But sitting there talking to her about the Lord, and her mother couldn't speak a word of English. She just smiled. But her daughter would translate. And Elba was would witness to her mother and tell her about the church and tell her about, you know, Bible study and tell her about the Lord and so forth. Now, the point is this, that somewhere along the line, God spoke to Camille, who had a, a job working for this lady, and in her mind could have said to herself, I'm not going to risk my job because she may not receive it well and may tell me to leave and doesn't like to ever come back if I try to talk to her about religion. But she obeyed what she knew God was telling her to do. She shared her faith. This lady responded, and Camille was ecstatic when she was telling us about it at Bible study. Ooh. Guys, I'm telling you, there is something that happens to you, the minister, when you are obedient to God and step out and do what God is telling you to do. There's a, there is a spiritual thing that goes on, and that's something, you, it's like spiritual cocaine. Okay, let me tell you, let me use that term. It's like spiritual cocaine. I may coin that, spiritual cocaine. 
Because, here's the reason why. Because everything that people get on their high with cocaine, you get in a spiritual sense when you step out and God uses you. You see the kingdom of God laid out there before you. You think, that lady's in heaven. She probably affected the life of her mother. All because one woman listened to God, stepped out in faith and took a chance. And ministered. You see? That's ministry. So guys, you need to start praying for that. You need to start praying that God would give you those opportunities. And when you see them, don't you dare pass them off to somebody else. God gave it to you. God will do what God does. And give it to somebody else. If you don't step up, step up. Step up and claim it. Step up and claim it. Here's the second thing that I want to encourage you to do, and that is this. To be willing to help someone in spite of your own problems or your own needs. Now, the emphasis here is on in spite of your own needs. Because here's a, a, here's a stumbling block for all of us. We let our own needs and problems, which are real, okay? But we let them stand in the way of us ministering to somebody else. Now, let me read you this verse, or a couple of verses here. Go back in this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 7, the same passage. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... In all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. His concern is for these people in the middle of all the junk happening in his own life. And this is why he can say down in verse 10, Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. We want to minister to you. Oh, now, wait a minute. Here's Paul, and he's struggling through all the stuff that he's going through, and he still wants to minister to somebody else? Yep. Now, listen to me, because everybody struggles. Do you understand that? Everybody goes through grief, depression, sickness, heartache, disappointment, all of these things we all go through. And if God said to us, you can, I want you to minister when everything settles down in your life. We would never do anything because there's always something going on. And we could go down a laundry list of things that we have to face in life that would keep us from doing ministry. And if you wait for those things to not be in your life, then there's, there's not going to be any ministry taking place. Paul was persecuted. Now listen to this. Paul was persecuted. Paul was sick. Paul was in prison on several occasions. Paul had to work a part-time job making tents just to pay his way. And he still touched people's lives and turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ in the middle of all his junk. Now see, I tell you that not to say that your problems aren't important. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we all have them. We're all going to go through them. And in the middle of that, God says, still, I want you to look out for the other person and to help them. Now, guys, there are going to be times in your life where somebody, some Christian, God's going to say, I need you to go touch the minister over here, the person, whoever you are. And whenever you're down and in need, somebody's going to come to you because God's going to send them. But God never says to you that when these opportunities come, hey, you're off the hook because I know what you're going through. 
Now here's, a, here's what I think, and this again is another Dave, okay? There's something therapeutic that goes on in a person's heart and life whenever they minister to somebody else. And I believe with all my heart that if you are down and going through the, the rough times, God wants you to minister to somebody else because that is going to change you. You see, this is medicinal for you. And that's the way we've got to see it. That God says you're not only touching life, but I am ministering in your life too through this. And this is what I think Paul's talking about when he says this is really living for us. This is what life is all about. Ministry helps us. Two things I want you to remember real quickly. I'm going to share these with you. Two things. Now, I've used these. I've told them to you in times past, but I'm telling you again. Listen to what I'm saying. Your life doesn't belong to you. I've said that to you on a number of occasions. Your life does not belong to you. Look at this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at two verses, 19 and 20. Listen to what it says. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Then he makes this statement. Look. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, what does that mean, honor God with your bodies? He's saying your life, the way you live, the things you do, the choices you make. You honor God with this. Now, how and why? Well, you do it through ministering to other people, being obedient to what God has told you to do. And the reason? Because you belong to me, he says. God, don't you understand what I'm going through? Yes, I do. And this is going to help you. I want you to minister. And I want you to be obedient. You're not your own. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. The sooner you come to that conclusion, the easier life becomes because you let go of all the things you're trying desperately to hold on to that prevent you from ministry because you make excuses. You give it up and you say, God, I truly am yours. And I will obey. Here's the second thing that I wanted to share with you in just a way of encouragement. Listen very carefully. These, these two are not going to be up on the screen. In order to experience the life you want, you have to let go of the life you have. In order to experience the life that you really want, when Paul says this is really living, this is really life, that's what you're looking for. Something that satisfies, brings joy, and is fulfilling. Then you've got to let go of the one you've got. Listen to this verse. Matthew 10:39. Listen to what Jesus said. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, really pay attention to this, okay? We go about life so desperately trying to find purpose and meaning and fulfillment. We want to be happy. We want joy. We want all of these things. He said, you are desperately finding or looking for, trying to find what life is all about. And if you do that, you're going to lose it. You're not going to find it. You know that. Those of you that have been caught up in alcohol, drugs, and whatever else, you've looked for life there. You know what I'm talking about. But he says this, but now if you do this, if you will lose your life, 
give it up for my sake, then you'll find it. Then you'll know what living is all about. Then you'll understand why, what makes life worth living. And this is what I'm trying to get you to see. Here's the third thing, very quickly, and let me close with this. You need to realize that God uses you even when you blow it. Now, again, that's another one I've said to you in various sermons. Even when you blow it, God uses you. Let me give you an illustration. Years ago, I had been in Bible college. This was back in the 70s. Oh, two or three years, maybe. Maybe two. And I had come home to Charlotte to visit our family, which we did several times a year. And uh, I had a couple of friends that I hadn't seen in years, really. Um, Their names were, one was Mickey and one was Eddie. Mickey was a couple of years older than me. Eddie was a couple of years older than him. But both of these guys... Mickey especially, I spent a lot of time with when we were in high school. Mickey and I used to double date. Mickey would let me drive his muscle car. This was the 60s now, so when we were in high school. We had, he had a muscle car. I didn't have any money, so I didn't have one. But he let me drive his spontaneous drag racing. We knew all about that. It was great. I, you know, we don't get to see each other very often, but I knew that he was up at his mother's down the street from me and visiting her, so I went down there one evening, afternoon, and he was there, and Eddie was there, and some others, we were talking, and I'm in Bible college, so whenever somebody knows you're in Bible college, they always bring up religion, and so they were talking, and Eddie was asking questions, and I was talking to him about salvation, and he had his own ideas about salvation, and he was saying things about good works and how he knew that if he went to church, he was going to be, he was saved and he was going to heaven because he went to church and all this. Everything that I, you know, knew was not true and I had just come through and I see, this is the danger of Bible college, you think you know everything. But I had just come through my personal evangelism course and all this stuff and I was loaded for bear. I mean, I had all the answers, you know. And so I was challenging what he was saying. Well, he got offended by it. I mean, he just, he just flat got angry that I would basically say, yeah, that's not true. You're wrong. You, just kind of, you just don't say you're wrong, you know. And so we talked, and I went through verses, and we, I shared with him about works and grace and quoting verses and sharing what salvation was and everything. This went on for oh, 30, 45 minutes. And it seemed like we were both raising our voices more and more, and it was just a heated debate. Well, nothing good came out of that. I realized I was getting nowhere, and so I, I said goodbye, and I left. I no sooner get out the door than it's like, dear God, what have I done? Because I knew in my heart I just blew it. Everything they ever taught you about witnessing to somebody, I just blew it. I was in an argument, and an argument never wins anybody. Just let me tell you that up front. You're never going to change a mind if you argue. You just share and let God do it. Well, I, I didn't. I go back to Bible college, and the years go by, and from periodically I'll see Mickey from time to time. But this is probably 15 years later now. And I've forgotten why we were in this particular situation, but Mickey and I were in a car. We were going somewhere. It may have been he just came by and got me and said, let's go out and get something to eat or something. We're going down the road. Now, Mickey, during this time, had gotten involved in a nonprofit ministry type thing where they were collecting used medical equipment and sending it overseas 
to different doctors and missions work overseas. So, you know, he's kind of been involved in missions work. And I'm, I'm asking Mickey, I said, man, I said, I don't know that you and I have ever talked about this. I said, when did you come to know the Lord? He said, that night you were arguing with Eddie. <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, I'm sitting there just listening. I wasn't saying anything. He said, but every question, every doubt, every fear I ever had, you were answering. Eddie was getting mad, but I was listening. I'm saying, you have got to be kidding me. Point being, I blew that. I blew it royally. And God still used it. The guy that I didn't think was in the conversation was listening. See? Now, guys, let me tell you something. Here's one of the reasons why you are reluctant to do ministry now or get involved in anybody's life is because somewhere along the line, you probably blew it too. And the Bible talks about my word will never return void. God, through his Holy Spirit, takes his word and accomplishes what he wants in spite of us. And man, am I not grateful for that. Because there are times that I've failed and God still brought about a good thing in somebody's life. I say all that to tell you this. You can't really fail. You really can't. Because you see, whether anybody responds to what you're doing or saying is irrelevant. God told you to do it. And God said, just minister. Share your faith if that's what the situation dictates or, or feed somebody or love on somebody or encourage somebody. I, through my spirit, he says, will bring about the fruit in its time. Right now, all I may need is just somebody to throw some seeds out and that's you. So, see, the question then becomes this. Are we going to obey? Are you going to sit back in fear of failing and missing out on all these opportunities that God in His sovereignty takes from you and sends over here to somebody else that's listening? Don't let that happen. If you want, if you want life to be all that God wants it to be for you, then start stepping out and being willing to minister and fight through all the junk in your own life and just let God be God and do what God says to do. So now the question is, who is it that God has laid on your heart? Hmm. See, that's what you've got to deal with. And tonight I want you to share that in your groups. I want you to be honest with the group and talk about this tonight. You tell the group who's on your heart. And it, it could be anything that you say, you know, I, I really feel I want to. I have a desire to. And I'm just not, but I, I really want to. Reach out in this way. Touch this person's life. Be involved here. Because see, here's the bottom line. You're the one that has to make that decision. All I'm here to do is to encourage you and push you, okay? I want to push you, and then I want to hear you one day come back and say, thank God you did, because now life is worth living. It really is. If you're here this morning, and you don't understand what the gospel is and why Jesus died on the cross, let me share something with you for just a few minutes, and I will let you go. I want you to look at this verse. It's going to come up on the screen. 
It's in the book of Romans, chapter 4. It's in verse 5, and here's what it says. It says, However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now, that's a confusing kind of verse, but let me explain it to you, okay? He's not saying that works aren't important for us. He's just saying if that's what you're counting on, that's not going to get you there. So he's saying this, to the one who does not work or doesn't count on his works, basically, but instead he turns to Jesus Christ and he puts his faith in Jesus Christ and he trusts in him that his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, listen to this, okay? Do you know how good you have to be to get to heaven? Um, That's a question everybody asks. Yeah, man. But how good do you have to be? Well, you know what the Bible says? You have to be perfect. Now, you're never going to get there. I'm never going to get there, and that's the beauty of the gospel because Jesus said it's not a works righteousness. It's not something you do actively. It is a righteousness that is given to you, imputed to you, charged to your account. And whenever I put my faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for me, God forgives my sins, cleanses them, and takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ and applies it to me. Someday I'll stand before God. And I don't know how this works. I'm just, again, another Daveism here, okay? I'll stand before God. And God, if God says to you, Dave, why should I let you in heaven? Well, I said, because I'm as righteous as Jesus. I put my faith in him years ago. And you gave me his righteousness and forgave my sin. See, that's what salvation is. And if you're counting on your good works, then God says you can't have it. Once you have it, God says now we can get on with the good works, but not until you have that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute. And if this is just for you who have doubts or uncertain about your salvation as you sit there today, you need to answer the question, do I really and truly understand this and put my faith in him? Am I willing just to step off into eternity and say, okay, Lord, you catch me. I'm stepping off in faith and I'm trusting you to save my soul. That's what salvation is. Then right now, today, do it. As you sit here before God, you're already condemned. You're already a sinner. Whether you uh, really believe you're as bad as God says you are or not, you are. The question is, Do you want to be saved? Then you need to trust Him. The Bible calls it faith, belief. Right there where you sit, you're calling on Him. Lord, give me your righteousness and take my sin. Heavenly Father, as we bow here before You, Father, we're humbled by the reality of what You've done for us. And Father, we're also humbled by the reality that we miss life sometimes. What it really is and how to go about getting the joy that we want. Lord, we all want to have joy and happiness and feel fulfilled. And when we come to the end of our days to look back and know they counted for something. 
And Father, there's only one way to get that, through serving you. Now, Father, touch our hearts. Draw us to you. Give us love for people that are unlovable. May we reach out as you lead us individually and minister. In Jesus' name, amen.